today, I want to continue our look at Psalm 119. Specifically, we're going to look at verses 57 through 64. If you were here last week, we said this is a huge psalm. It's the longest chapter. It's the longest psalm, but it's the longest chapter in the entire Bible, 176 verses. So we're not going to hit every single verse over the next couple of weeks, but we're going to look at a few um, just to ask about how we engage God's Word. Because every verse in these 176 verses in Psalm 119, every single verse references God's Word. There's different synonyms, God's Word, His commands, His laws, His way, but every single verse makes a reference to God's Word. It's a love song, we called it last week, a love song to the Scriptures. Last week, specifically, we just looked at, at the very beginning of this psalm, the idea that we, as believers, need to be reading the Bible. We need to be spending time knowing what the Bible says. So here's what we're going to do. For the, just, we're just going to pretend right now, or we're going to, maybe not pretend, we're going to imagine that last week's sermon, everybody who was here and heard it, or if you weren't here last week, that you watched it or you listened to the podcast, and it was like a watershed moment for everybody. We're just going to pretend, okay? And so every single one of you, this is what, in, in my mind, this is true every week, but I just want you to join me in my imagination this week. Every single one of you walked away from that and you were like, that's it, I'm doing that, I'm in. And so you've all been reading your Bible this week, okay? And some of you for the first time ever, some of you, you've been doing it for years, but you had a renewed passion for it. And as you're reading God's Word this week, you're like, yes, I'm in and I'm reading. And then you start to bump up against some stuff that you didn't know was in there. Or you, you kind of had an idea maybe it was in there, but you've kind of tried to maybe ignore it because it goes against the way you normally think. Or it goes against the way you actually are living. And so as you're reading Scripture, as you're engaging Scripture, you're going to come up against points, against times, against ideas that run counter to the way you live. And the question that we need to ask today is, so what do we do with that? What do we do when we bump up against something in Scripture that goes counter to the way we currently are living, thinking, functioning in our lives? What do we do with that? We could just keep reading and just go on like, you know, I... Last week we talked about reading the Word, and you're like, I'm doing that. I'm just going to read the Word. I'll read the Word. I'll read the Word. But if you read the Word without actually putting into practice what it teaches, you're only getting half, maybe less, maybe none of the benefit of what we were talking about last week. Because reading the Scriptures without actually doing what the Scriptures teach, that's like that would be like buying a treadmill and then leaving it in the garage unplugged. I'm not saying that out of personal experience, I swear. <laughs> but what's the point, what's the purpose of reading God's Word if you're not actually going to do what God's Word teaches? So, today, as we look at this passage in Psalm 119, what we're going to see is the psalmist, and we don't know who necessarily wrote this, but whoever it is who wrote Psalm 119 is, makes a promise. He makes a very specific promise that he is going to obey God's word. Let's read it together. It's Psalm 119, verses 57 through 64. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardback one under the seat in front of you. You can grab that and go to page 513. 
so that you can follow along with us. Psalm 119, verses 57 through 64. Follow with me as I read. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. The word of the Lord. So we all make promises, right? At different times, we've all vowed that we're going to do something. You say, I promise I'm going to do that. I promise I won't do that anymore. We all make those promises. Have you ever, though, have you ever made a commitment to something without fully knowing exactly what you were committing to? Has anybody ever done that? You said yes, and then later on you found out what that yes actually meant. So when I was uh, teaching way back, many years ago, I was teaching at a school in Indiana, and it was my first year there. I just just moved into that school. And so I'm trying to get connected to the school and trying to connect with the students and, and just trying to become a part of the culture of that school. And so one day I'm sitting in my classroom and during my prep period, just, just minding my own business, and two cheerleaders walked in, and they walked over to my desk and they said, Mr. Parks, next week we're going to have a pep rally, and we want you to help out. We want you to be in the pep rally. We're going to have a relay race, and we want you to be in the relay race. Now, I'm like, well, what exactly does it involve? And they say, oh, don't worry. It's not hard. Okay. Now, I'm, like I said, I'm new. I want to be a part of the school. And so I'm like, this is a good way to be a part of the school. So I said, yes, I'll be a part of this pep rally. So I show up. It's a Friday afternoon, of course. It's packed. The entire school is there. The whole high school is there in the gym. And they call us, everybody who's supposed to be in the relay, and it's me and another teacher and a couple of students. And they're like, here's what you're going to do. We've got this Razor scooter, and you're going to ride this Razor scooter from this end of the gym to that end and back. But, it was the football homecoming pep rally, but in order to do it, you're going to put on, when it's your turn, you're going to put on these full pads and jersey and this football helmet. And then you're going to ride down and back. So, couple problems. A, I've never ridden a Razor scooter in my life. Okay, so for some of you, that's like, no big deal. For me, I'm like, well, I don't, what do I do with this thing? Like, I didn't even know how to do it. Then, they give me the football helmet, and it's in the middle. I'm like the second person to go in my relay team. So I get the helmet, and I put it on. I have a large head. <laughs> and the football helmet does not fit. So I'm running, running, literally running, with a razor scooter between my legs, running back and forth down this gym with a football helmet to about here on my head. And the entire student body loved it. They loved it. I mean, it was pretty popular. And the whole time I'm thinking, I didn't know what I was signing up for. This is not fair. Many of us, many of us have gotten to a place in our lives where we've said yes to something with no clue exactly what it entailed. Many of us have made a promise very similar to this promise in Psalm, 57, or Psalm 119, verse 57. I promise, the psalmist says, I promise to keep your words. I promise, God, that I'm going to obey you. So many of us have made that promise before. So many of us have made that promise broadly, 
God, whatever you tell me, I promise I'm going to do what you say. Some of us have made it very specifically. God, you're telling me to do this thing, and I promise I'm going to do it. You're telling me to stop doing this thing, I promise I'm going to stop. So many of us have made that promise without fully recognizing exactly what it was going to entail. So many of us have made that promise and later found ourselves falling short of the promise that we made. Here's the problem. Obedience, obeying God, is not easy. It's not. It's not something that you can just, God, I'm going to do that, and you just go do it. Obedience is hard. And many times, when we hear a call, follow God, follow Jesus, do what he says, follow his teachings, follow him. And we, it sounds so good and it sounds so easy and we jump in, yeah, absolutely, I'm in. And then we run up against problems. And we find ourselves thinking, I didn't realize. When I made that promise, I just didn't realize everything that it was going to entail. The funny thing to me, or the interesting thing, maybe I want to say it that way, about Psalm 119, in this portion, verses 57 through 64, the psalmist who makes this promise, he knows exactly what he's getting into. Because he goes on to be very specific about exactly what he's promising. And in doing so, he lays out for us multiple, multiple ways in which obeying God is difficult. Look at this, verse 59. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. Obeying God, number one, obeying God is really difficult because it very often goes against my instincts. When I think on my ways, the way I would normally do stuff, the way I'm prone to go on my own, out of my own just regular thinking of this is how the world should work, what's normal to me, when I think about my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. What the psalmist is saying is, I recognize if I'm going to obey you, I'm going to have to go against the way I would naturally go. Now, if we think about it, this makes sense. Because what have we said? The whole point, and if you were here last week, the whole point of reading Scripture is that we're constantly, constantly surrounded by lies, by other versions of the way the world should work, versions that are not true. But we hear them so often that we internalize them, they become our way of thinking. The whole reason we need God's Word is because the truth of God's Word needs to counteract the lies that we believe. We instinctively not 100%, not in every single way, but in so many ways we instinctively are led opposite of the direction God would lead us. That if we spend time in God's Word, we're going to see things that push against the way we normally would go, where our instincts, where our normal way of thinking would normally lead us to go. The question for us becomes, what do I follow? Do I follow my ways, or do I follow what God teaches? But that's not all. Look at verse 60. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. The psalmist is promising that I'm going to obey you even when it's inconvenient. I'm going to do it now. Because there are so many times that I, and I'm going to guess you, hear from God, we read what God says, we know, understand, this is what God is leading me to do, but we think I'll do that later. 
I'll do that at a different time. I'll do that when it's easier. I'll do it when it makes more sense for me. Once I get this thing done in my life, once I've experienced this, once I've got a little more of this out of the way, then I'll get to that. Then I'll follow God. And the psalmist here is promising. He's saying, I'm going to obey you right away. I'm not going to wait until my priorities are taken care of. What he's promising is I'm going to make obedience to you a priority. That's hard. That's hard because sometimes what God calls us to do doesn't cleanly fit in to the way we have planned our lives to work. Whether that's like our lifelong plan, I'm going to accomplish this, I'm going to get this done, I'm going to do these things in my life, and God's saying, no, I want you to go here, I want you to do this, I want you to give this, or whatever. Sometimes it's just day to day. My day's going along, and everything is in this, and I have to accomplish this, and I have to make sure this happens, and God's like, no, slow down, you need to do this. And we push back because we're like, that doesn't fit, it's inconvenient. But there's more, there's more. Look at verse 61. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. Let me explain a little bit of context here. So Psalm 119, most scholars believe, was written during a time when the nation of Israel was in exile or was in captivity. In other words, the nation of Israel, which was founded, which was created by God himself, to, as a nation, to follow him, to obey his laws, to, to image him to the rest of the world around them, but they were um, under captivity and being controlled by outside forces which were hostile to God's will. And so what the psalmist is saying is that even though, even though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, even though my circumstances, even though the situation culturally, specifically politically, that within I find myself within, even though that is hostile to God, even though that's against what God's telling me, I'm going to obey even then, even though Often circumstances, the circumstances we find ourselves in make obedience very difficult. We find, how often do you find yourself, not just you internally, but your external circumstances getting in the way? God's calling me to do this, but it would require me to go against the culture I live in. It would require me to go against work and what I've decided, or what I'm pursuing in my career, and the way work is set up, and if I go and I follow God in this way, my family wouldn't like it. My friends wouldn't like it, and there's circumstances around me that make it difficult. There's circumstances around me that are pushing against it and saying, I shouldn't go in that way. How do I follow God? How do I obey when my circumstances make it difficult? And then there's more. Look at Verse 62, at midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. This one's not very fair, especially for those of us who like to sleep. Sometimes, oftentimes, obedience to God will require self-denial. There are times when God will call us to something that means we have to put aside what we believe is best for ourselves We need to give up, not just our own opinion, our own way of thinking, but what is honestly would promote us, what would make us feel better in some immediate way. We need to deny ourselves to follow what God's calling us to. 
The, the, the example here, rising in the middle of the night, and I'm not saying that when we talk about this, and we'll talk about this a little more as we go on, but the psalm is not saying that every single one of us needs to set an alarm for 12 a.m., and that's a time that we, we need to get up in the middle of the night, wake the kids up, get everybody up, and sing a worship song together. You try that, tell me how it works. I'm not sure. If, I, I don't believe that's what he's saying. But what he is saying is very clearly this. There are times, like literal times, that it will take an act of self-denial going against, going against our own selves to follow God. Verse 63, I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. This one sounds, this one actually sounds the least intimidating until you think about what he's saying here. In order to obey, in order to follow God, the psalmist is saying, I'm going to surround myself with others who are also following God, who are also committed to obeying God. There are many times when following God is going to require us to be in community with others who see things in us that we may not see in ourselves. Sometimes we refer to those as blind spots. Sometimes it's a situation where you have to give people permission to speak into your life and say, where do you? Someone else who's godly, someone else who's following Jesus, someone who has grace and will look at you with love, not with condemnation or judgment, but help you to see areas where you're not following God. That is embarrassing. I mean, potentially, there's a lot of shame in that. To invite someone else to speak into your life in areas where you are imperfect. Because we all say, we all say, I, I, I'm in, nobody's perfect. We're all imperfect. None of us are, we all say that. But we do our best day in and day out, to try to hide our imperfections, don't we? At least to other people, right? Isn't that the whole point of having friends? Is to have a group of people who think you're awesome? That's what friends are, right? People who tell you how great you are? And so we have to keep up that image. What does it look like if obeying God means inviting other people in to the ugly parts too? And giving them permission to point out in a gracious way, in a loving way, out of a sincere concern for you to grow in grace, to point out places where you're pushing hard against what God's calling you to. This is a lot of hard things. The psalmist is making a promise. God, I'm going to follow you. I promise I'm going to obey you. But he's doing it with his, eye, with his eyes wide open. Look, look at the list again. Obeying God that goes against my instincts at a time when it's inconvenient, when circumstances make it difficult, when it requires self-denial, when it means inviting others in to see my imperfection. Think about this. Let's, let's think about this in a very specific. I've been kind of talking in generalities. Let's talk about like something specific. Okay? What about forgiveness? If you read the Bible for almost any length of time, you're going to bump into specific, like, direct commands to forgive people. You're going to see it's a part of the story of the entire Bible. The whole 
you know, Jesus dies on the cross. Why? For our forgiveness. If we're going to follow him, we're going to have to, if we're going to be like him, he's going to call us to forgive others. In Matthew 18, you're going to read a really specific, explicit conversation about how often we need to forgive. And the answer is always. Forgiveness is taught throughout the entire scripture. Forgiveness is really, really hard. Like, it's really, really hard, right? I mean, think about it. How much does forgiveness go against our instincts? Everything within us, when we're hurt, says to hurt back, to get revenge. That forgiveness, we believe, in our minds, our instincts tell us that forgiveness is letting the other person off the hook. It's opening yourself up to be hurt again. It's allowing them to go hurt other people. That's that's not true. But everything within us tells us that forgiveness is bad. We should not forgive. It's inconvenient. My goodness, when you feel compelled by God to forgive someone, you almost always want to say, well, later. Later. And when do we, when do, this is maybe opening up my soul too much, but when do we normally want to forgive? After the other person has paid, right? Once the other person has faced our, what we believe to be justice, then we'll forgive them. That's not forgiveness, right? And we read, when did God forgive us? After we paid? Okay. Um, And circumstances. I mean, we don't live in a culture that celebrates forgiveness, do we? Our culture is not like, let's forgive everybody. Not at all. And self-denial. Think about how much you give up. This is what forgiveness is. By definition, forgiveness is letting go of a debt. And the reason we hold on for revenge is we want what's coming to us. We want to be paid back for the wrong that was done to us. Forgiveness... It's really, really hard. Let me, let me give you another one, and it kind of goes along with this in general, but very specifically, if you read the New Testament, you're going to see God calling us to live in community, community with other believers. That's really hard. Most of us, and by our instincts, by our convenience, by all these things, would much rather live lives on our own. I have my own personal Christian faith. I'll, I'll come to church. I can come to church because that's easy. I can come in, sit down, sing, and go home. without. You can literally come without talking to anybody. And so I don't want to have to have people, other believers, invited into my life. I've got my own stuff going on. It's really inconvenient to walk in community with other believers. It's really potentially very embarrassing to invite those people in to my life. I'd have to give up so many of the things that I love for myself in order to do what's loving for them. Obedience to God is hard. Obedience to God is not a simple, easy path. If you think obedience is easy, you're probably not obeying. You're probably just doing what you want to do anyway. The whole reason it's called obedience is because it's calling us to do something we don't want to do. Aaron, this is the worst sermon ever. Okay, you're supposed to be trying to persuade people to want to obey, and all you're doing is talking about how hard it is, how awful it is, and how none of us would ever want to do it. So, (laughs) here's where I want to push with you, okay? Because you look at that list... And you hear this, and you think about it, and you're like, why would anybody want to do that? And the idea of, like, 
Yeah, don't make a commitment if you don't know the whole, where you're going with it. Don't say, yes, I'm in, if you don't know what it's all going to entail. So here I'm laying out what it's going to entail, and you're like, yeah, so I don't want to do that. But look at this, and I really want you to see this. In Psalm 119, there are actually two promises. Two promises being made in Psalm 119. In verse 57, the psalmist says, The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. But look at verse 58. I entreat, which means I beg for, I cry out to you, I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. In verse 57, the psalmist promises he's going to obey God. But in verse 58, immediately upon making that promise, he says, I entreat or I beg for God, I ask for your favor with all my heart. I'm begging you, God, show favor to me. Be, and look at the word he uses, be gracious to me, be gracious to me. Why is he calling to God for grace? Because even in making this promise, the psalmist knows that none of us, himself included, is able to fulfill that promise. Not completely, not 100%. All of us fail. All of us fall short. No matter how many times we promise, no matter how many plans we make that this is what we're going to do and this time we're going to get it right, but he calls to God and he says, be gracious to me according to, show me your grace, forgive me for all the times I fall short, according to what? Your, God's promise. There's two promises here. The psalmist makes a promise to obey, but that promise rests upon God's promise. God's promise to what? To show us grace. God's promise to show us love. His steadfast, look at verse 64, the earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Steadfast meaning unchanging, meaning no matter what I do, no matter how many times I fall short, no matter how many times I break my promises, God's promise, God's promise is secure. This is so important for us. When we think about, when we talk about obeying God's word, we have to remember we have to know, we have to understand, we have to believe that our obedience to God has to be based not on our promise to Him. It has to be based on His promise to us. We cannot obey God out of a sense that I must do this or else. If you've tried that, and most of us have tried that, most of us have had that in our lives before. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm failing, I've got to try harder. I've got to promise, I've got to commit to make things better. God, I'm going to serve you this time, I'm going to do it right, I've got a better plan, I've got better accountability partners, I've got everything all laid out, and this time, God, now you can bless me now because I'm going to obey better. I promise never works. Because we try on our own, and we try on our own, and we try on our own, and it never gives us the joy 
and the peace and the blessing that we're seeking after. Now, sometimes we get this twisted around. And I want to be careful, because a lot of times what we'll say is, well, so if God's love is steadfast, if his promise is to show grace and mercy to us, then that means we don't really even need to obey, do we? Because, like, he's going to love me regardless. So why, if it's so hard, if it's so inconvenient, if it goes against everything I believe and everything I think, why mess with it? I can just trust in Jesus saving me, and I don't have to worry about obedience. If it's really true, if it's really true that God loves us that much, if it's really true that God loves us unconditionally, if his promise to us is to love us and show grace to us, not based on our works and our obedience, but based solely on his love, on Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, if that's his promise to us, if he loves us that much and he says, here's the way life works best, and he says, here's the path to joy, and he says, here's what life looks like, when you're trusting me and when you're loving me and when you're loving other people out of my love for you, and he says, this is what that looks like, then does it make any sense at all to say, I believe that, but I don't believe this? Does it make any sense to say, God, I trust you, I trust your grace to rescue me and forgive me, but I don't trust your wisdom for how to live my life? How does that make any sense? Can we really honestly say we're trusting God if we're going to split it and divide it in that way in our minds? Jesus refers to obedience. And the New Testament authors refer to obedience as taking up our cross. That idea of self-denial, which on its own in, in that time in the first century, the phrase to take up your cross would have meaning on its own. The idea of giving up yourself, of being, putting yourself in a position where you would be, because a cross was a symbol, it was more than a symbol, but it was, it was a means of torture. And to take up your own cross means to put yourself, to, to basically sacrifice your own life in some way. But when Jesus, when the New Testament authors use the phrase to take up our cross, it means more than just a symbol of self-denial. It's a reference point to point us to why we would obey in the first place. We obey because Jesus obeyed. And obedience for Jesus was everything hard that obedience is for us. Go, can we go back to that slide, the list of all the, the difficult things? When Jesus obeyed, I mean, maybe we we can push against this one a little bit to say, well, Jesus, as God, he would have wanted to obey. But before he was crucified, Jesus spent an entire evening crying out to God, asking if there was any other way this could happen. If there was any other plan, any other way that he could forgive us, any other way he could rescue us. It was inconvenient 
If there was any other way that Jesus could have rescued us, if obedience, but it it cost him his entire life. I mean, talk about self-denial. And the scripture tells us he emptied himself, not just his crucifixion, but being even humbling himself to become a human and walking on earth was self-denial. Beyond that, then taking it to the extreme of being killed, the circumstances. When Jesus came to earth, he was hated, he was reviled, he was tortured, he was killed. Jesus knows what real sacrifice looks like because Jesus knows what true obedience looks like. But that obedience, Jesus' obedience, had a point. It had a purpose. And when we obey, when we follow in ways that are difficult, in ways that go against our instincts, in ways that go against our culture, when we follow in a way that is difficult, we paint a beautiful picture of the gospel. Because the gospel tells us that on our own, we are incapable. On our own, we're incapable of obeying. Even at our best, we are incapable of making ourselves better. But Jesus gave his life because of our, our inability. He gives us his grace because he is infinitely able to do what we could never do. When we follow him in a way that is difficult, when we struggle, when it's hard, when we recognize in our attempts to obey how unable we are on our own, it forces us to do one of two things. When we follow God in a difficult obedience, we either will give up and follow our own instincts and just go back to the way things have been, or we'll recognize our inability and we'll fall on our face and cry out to God for more of his grace and more of his mercy. Why is obedience so hard? If God is sovereign, if he's in control of the entire universe, he could have created a world. He could manipulate the world now in such a way that makes obeying him really, really easy. Why make it hard? Why call us to do things that extend us outside of ourselves? Because if obedience was easy, we would all believe that we were capable on our own of being good enough. And we wouldn't run to God. It's the difficulty of obedience that draws us closer to Him. It's when I come to the end of myself that I find myself crying out to my Savior. And that is God's ultimate goal. The reason He calls us to obey is not just so that we perform certain moral actions. The reason He calls us to obey is because in obeying, we draw closer to him and we find his love. And that's his goal. His goal for us is to love him more and to be loved by him. And we never feel that more powerfully. And this might go against our instincts, but we never feel his love more powerfully than we recognize our own limitations. 
And in my limitations, in my hurt, in my pain, and I look to him and I see him, I see the cross and I see his love and I understand it in a different way. Obedience is more than just making a promise to do whatever God tells us to do. Obedience, and a lot of you know this, isn't a momentary flip a switch. I've been disobeying, from now on I'm going to obey. True obedience, true following after Jesus is a slow, step-by-step process of choosing over and over and over and over again to trust him, to believe what he says, to believe his definition and his description of what the good life actually looks like. And it's hard. It's slow. If obeying, if you, like, if obeying God was as simple as saying, I'm going to obey, and then boom, your life was perfect, everybody would do it. But it doesn't work like that. It's slow. It's hard. But His grace is always there. And His grace is always sufficient. We are not enough. But He is Let's pray. We're going to take some time to reflect and then we're going to share communion together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, you are so good to us. Even though I disobey over and over and over again, you still love me and you still forgive me because of Jesus' sacrifice on my behalf. Thank you. God, please never let me move on from the power and the wonder of that forgiveness. Please open my heart, open my eyes to hear what you have to say, to see the world the way you see the world, and to follow you even when it's most difficult. And that's my prayer for everyone here today, that all of us would more than just make a promise, that we would actually take the steps, commit to following you over and over and over again, and that when we fail, we would fall on our faces in front of the cross and receive your promise of grace. In your name we pray. Amen.